Good evening, and uh, it's good to be back with episode 500 of F5 Live, Refreshing Technology, uh, for July 1st, 2018. This show is a proud part of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. This week, Apple and Samsung finally settle their differences, regulations could be strangling the internet, and Fox is officially ghosting Comcast. Uh, wherever you are and however you're ac- accessing our show, whether it be um, on any of our live stream partners, which are Livestream.com, Mixer, uh, Periscope, Twitch, YouTube Live, and Facebook, um, on any of these social media sites, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you happen to be, um, or um, on any of the podcatchers, including uh, Apple Podcasts, the all-new Google Podcasts, which they finally got rid of that terrible name, uh, the Podcast Play app uh, on Windows 10, or any of the other uh, myriad of podcatchers, or wherever you're accessing us. Thank you for making us a part of your day. Um, This year, like I said, is F5 Live, Refreshing Technology, the flagship show of the Plunkett's Live family of content. We are live most Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, and uh, we go for about an hour, and we will talk... uh, the gadgets, gaming, internet, and media news of the week. Uh, There are two ways that you can join us. The first is live on those Sunday nights at 9 p.m. by going to f5live.tv slash join us. There you will see uh, the chat room and the live stream, and you can join us, uh, join along right there. If you can't join us live and chat with us in the chat room, that is okay. You can always subscribe by going to plugitslive.com slash subscribe, and there you will see F5 Live, as well as the Pilch Point, uh, which will be in just a little while. We'll be uh, talking about Avram's experience with uh, Linux over the last couple of days. Um, and our first look series, our special events, and a number of other series there as well. Uh, so you can subscribe to all of that. And I think with that, that is the spiel. Avram. It has been way too long. How have it you has... been? Oh, good, good. A lot of a lot of stuff. Have we spoken since I got back from Computex? I'm not sure. I don't. Did we have a show since then? We have not had a show since then. You and I have spoken, but we have not had a show since then. Wow. Okay. Well, right. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Wow. It has been a very long time. Well, uh, it was an exciting month of June. <laughs> Uh, for me, we had a great show at at, uh, at Computex. Uh, lots of neat stuff came out of that. It came out of that. Lots of great new products. Um, you know, we've uh, brought on two new staff members for Tom's Hardware, where um, where I'm the editor in chief, uh, and we, uh, you know, continue and uh, things kind of continue to 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 chug along, and. Um, Right now, as I will talk about later, I am in the middle of a win dependence project <laughs> where I where I am using Linux instead of Windows on my main computer, and I'll tell everybody how that's going. <laughs> so since we haven't spoken since Computex, uh, give us a couple of the quick highlights. So let's see. Uh, well, ASUS came. Uh, ASUS announced. ASUS announced a couple of big things. Their ROG phone, uh, which is yet another game, which is a you know 
maybe the second gaming phone that we've really seen after the Razer, the Razer phone. Sure. Uh, they all Asus also announced a, I won't call it a dual screen laptop. Well, actually they did. They had both, uh, project, um, what's it called? They showed a prototype of something where the keyboard was a screen. So that, um, and then they also have uh, coming out soon a ZenBook Pro that has the touchpad uh, as a touchscreen. So obviously the desire for secondary screen is is out there. Um, AMD announced a new 32-core uh, uh, CPU, the Threadripper 2, uh, and Intel... Uh, came already came out with its 80 uh, came out with its 8086k the 40th anniversary uh, CPU which we have a review up on Tom's hardware right now uh, and uh, also we caught Intel uh, doing something a little bit misleading in their um, in their keynote uh, Paul Alcorn who's our CPUs editor noticed that they were showing off I think it was a 28 core processor demo where each of the cores was able to hit five gigahertz if you know anything about processor speeds and clocking you know how difficult that is he noticed that while on the stage they had a liquid nitrogen cooling box that everything was going through they forgot to mention that this demo was using all kinds of extra cooling and, and overclocking it wasn't these things running at stock speeds with the stock cooler got it so um, you know, so that, you know, you can decide whether they had an obligation to tell people that when they made this demo, uh, in front of, you know, however many thousands of people that, you know, it actually was an overclock with, with special, with like really specialized cooling sure, or, or not, but, you know. Okay. Well, that's, that's an interesting situation. I'm curious about... <laughs> The laptop with the uh, trackpad touchscreen, because I've seen some stuff on it, and I'm curious uh, your take on it. It looks, I mean, it looks pretty. It's not the first time we've seen something like this. So you may remember the, uh, I think it was the Razer Blade Pro, like four years ago, mm-hmm. had something like this, uh, Switchblade, I think it was called. Oh, I think you're right. Um, so the touchpad. You can you turn it off and just save the battery because okay. it, it definitely affects battery life. Sure. You can use it. That you can use it. It has like a quick launch menu on it that you can use. You can turn it into a calculator. There's a bunch of different little apps you can use for it, like a calculator one and okay. one that makes it a numeric keypad and other things like that. And then if you really want to, you can use it as an actual second monitor uh, and like put a YouTube video on there, which is very weird. Um, but, I can uh, I can see I can see playing a uh, a video game walkthrough on the bottom screen while you're playing a game on the top screen. Yeah, it doesn't really work as a touchpad when you're doing that though, so you you better sure. t- attach a mouse if you're going to do that. Sure. But um, uh, plus it's really weird how you know you move your pointer and it's like this tiny, teeny, tiny pointer <laughs> rolling around on the second you know yeah the second screen that's maybe four inches or something like that four or five inches so like having a uh, you know like having a bluetooth mouse connected to a windows 10 phone 
and having the teeny yeah. tiny mouse <laughs> scroll around on the screen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that that kind of a thing. But um you know, it's uh it's neat, you know, uh whether or not it will work is another thing. And then there was pro- project oh, I can't believe my my uh, I'm forgetting the name of it, but look it up. It's on Tom's hardware. Um the dual screen Asus monitor uh, where it also is supposed to use AI, although the way in which it uses AI is, I mean, seems like kind of a stretch of the term AI. Like it knows based on what app you're using, what type of virtual keyboard to show and things like that. Okay. I mean, I, I wouldn't exactly call that super duper artificial intelligence, you know, or it, it knows it does auto predictions or things like that. So, sure. you know, I wouldn't exactly call it, um, you know, from what they discussed, uh, super um, intelligence. But, you know, I think the fact, I think there is a future for, you know, where for products that have no physical keyboard. I personally don't want to use one, but um, but there's a future for it. I would rather, to have a dual screen effect, I would rather have something where there is an actual second screen that like pops out of the side of the um, of the notebook lid. Um, there obviously are, there have been, you know, a few attempts at that, and there have been a few attempts at aftermarket products. There's one right now, I'm forgetting the name of it, that recently launched on Kickstarter where it's a magnet and you attach it to the back of your notebook lid okay. and it can pop a, uh, pop a 12 inch screen out of the side. So like that kind of thing, I think I would, um, consider, but, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't, um, there's, you know, I just, I just like typing. Sure. For real. Sure. Uh, there's also a project Valerie from, uh, from razor. Yes. That had yes. three so, screens. <laughs> Yes, we'll see if that ever comes out. But right, that's yeah. that's what I want. Like, I want something like that. Yeah, that's way um, more practical. I, you know, I want something like that. But what they're thinking of is not really, hey, I'm going to use this as like a dual dual screen for dual productivity necessarily. But that, hey, you can lay it flat and turn it into like an air hockey game or something, or uh-huh. battleship or something. You can you know, have all kinds of adaptive keyboards or be able to draw on it. Like, you know, that's what they're thinking. They're not really thinking of it the way that, like, I have two monitors set up on my desk right now. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, the ridiculous setup that's going on in here. Yeah, that's that's not what they're thinking. They're thinking more like the like the canceled Microsoft courier. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. Excellent. And as you said, uh, you guys have content from Computex on a laptop. Or what? What? Where are you working now? Tom'sHardware.com. Well, Laptop Mag has it too, but uh, <laughs> has some too, has a lot too. We, you know, we were all there together. Sure. We helped each other, uh, Sheree Smith and and myself. But um, the uh, so yes, we've got a lot of Computex stories. We've got like ninety five Computex stories. Uh, the ones I will point out that you should should most look for are the coolest stuff from Computex, the coolest stuff we saw at Computex, the best of Computex, uh, and the weirdest case mod, the coolest case mods of Computex, of which there were a lot of case mods. 
that was a real highlight of the show for me was seeing all the really neat case mods and I actually got to meet some of the world champion modders that were there which was which was a privilege so oh that's awesome that was pretty cool yeah yeah that, that's a that's a pretty cool uh situation i like that yeah um well cool i obviously i followed along <laughs> during the week um cuz i'm always i'm always fascinated by by the stuff at Computex and I know you and I talk about it all the time. I'm going to go with you one of these years. We'll I would it would be very cool. It it's been it was this was the this is like the ninth year I went and it was the most fun that I've had at it. Um I feel bad for the show though because it was very very quiet. I mean, I I mean there was lots of great announcements from a news perspective. I just mean there weren't a lot of people. It wasn't very crowded. Uh which okay. was great for me, but but I don't know what that says about the future of the show. Um, they had it a year, a month, a week later than they normally do. So maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. Okay. But, um, but, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. There was a lot of really neat stuff. And of course, representing Tom's hardware there was really great. And I got to meet with a lot of really, uh, interesting vendors who, when I was representing laptop, I wasn't talking to as much. So. Sure. Sure. Um, cause obviously the priorities have changed with the yeah. with the brand change yeah that makes sense yeah. i would not for example have visited with leanne lee the company that makes uh cases last year and i got to visit with them and they showed me one of the neatest things coolest things i've seen although apparently it's been there have been versions of it before so it's not the first ever but i had not checked this out before they have desks they, ha they make now make desks where the desk is a case Oh, okay. There's a, in fact, my, uh, my like banner picture on Facebook is me sitting at it. So they have like the under the top of the desk is glass and underneath you can see like your computers. This, cause this, the big one actually can store, stores two separate systems inside. Oh. Like one on the left and one on the right. So you can have like a streaming system and your gaming system or something. And, um, it's hydraulic uh, standing desk too, so you could stand at it or whatever. So, like you know, that's that's really cool. That could be that could be fun in here seeing the uh, the production hardware that runs everything through the desk, or it could be obnoxious. But that is cool. I was wondering what that picture was. I'm looking at it right now. I was wondering what that picture was. It makes way yeah, it more sense now. Yeah, it's it it is a computer case desk. Okay. Uh, so, that I mean, you know, of course, everything there, everything is RGB now. Everything. <laughs> yeah. Every single product comes with some kind of customizable lighting. Sure. In fact, in fact, Leanne Lee came out with a power cable, a like internal power cable, that is RGB customizable. So like. Sure. There's. Almost nothing left that is not <laughs> on our homepage right now at Tom's Hardware. My uh, um, our new senior editor Sharon Harding did a a listicle of the 22 wildest things with RGB on them, and you know, nice. You can, you can only imagine from the toilets to the clothing, um, <laughs> everything's going RGB. Next week I'm gonna come back and my face is gonna be RGB. <laughs> oh no, no, thank you. All right. Well, 
thank you for that, Avram. Um, let's get into some news. How does that sound? Hopefully, I don't blow Great. the audience out of the water with the music this time. We'll see. This week's Nifty Gifties on F5 Live is proudly powered by the Microsoft Store. Whether you're looking for the upgraded version of the Surface Book in front of me, or you're looking for a Surface Laptop, or to save $360 on a Surface Pro, um, or you're not looking for a computer. Maybe you're looking for an Xbox One X that currently comes with an extra game, or you're looking to purchase um, uh, the Cortana speaker, the Harman Kardon Invoke, uh, or something non-Microsoft, the Samsung Galaxy S9. All of that and more are available by going to f5live.tv slash Microsoft. All right. I definitely fixed the volume on that. I apologize to our live listeners who got hit by that the first time. All right. So this is pretty good news. Um, a topic that we have been talking about for many years. Uh, the Apple Samsung um, patent case of which we actually have a custom graphic in our system. So that's how many times we've had to talk about this topic. Um, it is finally over. Apple and Samsung have uh, have ended the long-running patent infringement case that has been going on since uh, 2011. So a seven-year patent case that has gone almost as high as it can go um, and Samsung has seemingly lost every time. Uh, it is over. They have told the court we've come to a settlement and uh, they can't refile in the future. So it is officially done. Hooray for those who don't know the details on this. This is the one that um, we have joked about time and again uh, that Apple had sued Samsung because their phones had rounded corners. That's not the only thing, but it was certainly the most ridiculous of the, cl of the claims uh, because obviously uh, there had been rounded corners long before the iPhone. But so it's done. I think I think this is important for a couple of reasons. One, uh, thank God it's this will be the last time we have to talk about it. But more importantly, how much money from both of these companies has been squandered on this patent infringement case? It really shows that some people, some companies just have way too much money to like, I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's so frustrating to hear about this. I mean, what's interesting though is, as far as I know, they haven't sued any other Android phone maker, right? You know, have they not sued HTC? How about Motorola? How about Sony? How about like anybody who's made the phone? Uh huh. You know, I mean, a lot of them have rounded corners, absolutely, or have a piece of glass in the front, or have a touchscreen, or you know, like. 
So I don't know. I feel like and this is and part of the patent infringement case came down to the operation of the device, which is Google, not Samsung. You know. <laughs> yeah. But, so like but Google's never been named in one of these. Yeah, I, I don't get it. Although, didn't um, Steve Jobs once say that Android was a stolen product? Um, Which, if you go back a couple of years before that, would have been a uh, compliment from him. Because that yeah. would have meant that Google were great artists. Yes. <laughs> this Every time we have this conversation about this thing, I say the same thing. Uh, I think Mark Cuban said this somewhere. There should not be software patents. Software patents should not be allowed. There's There's a really good argument that maybe that there's a really good argument that maybe most patents are 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 hurting innovation rather than helping it i mean if you can patent something as simple as you know the ability how many times you have to click to buy something which amazon patented uh-huh. or patents the idea of rounded corners or touching icons on a screen things that are just ideas that are just so commonplace that any person could have come up with them or uh, independently mm-hmm. you know that you're giving people basically a license to control the market for what which is you exactly know? what this case was actually about you know what i mean it had nothing to do with rounded corners or touchable icons obviously you know from a from a logical standpoint you and i both know it had nothing to do with rounded corners and touchable icons. It had everything to do with which of these companies was going to have a greater control over a very lucrative industry at the time, which today it's not the lucrative industry that it was in 2011 when the suit was filed. Everything has maybe pre- that's why they're settling. I think so. Every, you know, hardware in the phone space is basically commoditized now people are pretty well on the platform of their choice but here's the interesting thing in 2011 there was actually a lot of competition yeah you had i mean you had all kinds of weird stuff you had sailfish and jola and all kinds of crazy stuff out there not only that but you had you know you had more competition in the android space Mm -hmm. that's true i mean there, most of the a lot of the competitors are still around, but it's pretty clear at this point that Samsung, Samsung and Apple are the behemoths in the space. Uh huh. You know, Motorola is not a huge, at least in the U.S. market worldwide. Even worldwide, I think Samsung is a pretty big presence. I mean, obviously, yeah. um, you know, there are some brands that do better in China, sure, or only available in China, whatever, like ZTE, yeah. um, and but. You know, there's Huawei, but there's, you know, I mean, it's pretty clear that Samsung is is the world leader. And some of the and in 2011, it wasn't clear that Samsung was going to emerge the winner. It could have been HTC. I would say because I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure HTC was given Samsung a run for their money at that point. You know, they were HTC was Motorola was you had HTC with the the boom sound and uh, paired up with with beats to put beats audio in their phones and you know there there was some creative stuff going on in 2011 and this might have been 
Apple saying, we see Samsung as the threat and let's try and let's try and neutralize that now and never actually succeeding in it. Well, yeah, except, you know, for what it's worth, they cost Samsung hundreds of millions of dollars. Just in legal uh, fees, not to mention yeah. whatever Samsung had to pay because the, the details of the, uh, the agreement aren't public. Uh, but the last time Samsung lost the case, it was 300 plus million, which they wanted to pay in pennies, which I thought was pretty wonderful. Yeah, but Great. the good news is it's over. I'm totally with you. I think with the, the patent conversation, we have the conversation with our clients all the time. By the time you actually finish patenting something, it's probably not relevant anymore anyway. And all you've done is told people, here's an idea. All you have to do is figure out how to do it a slightly different way that doesn't violate the patent. And you've spent all your time patenting and not actually doing anything. Build the next great thing in that time. But there's also just a lot of things, you know, looking at it from a small business perspective, there's just a lot of things that companies want to basically set up a protection racket with. Uh -huh. You know, so like it, it didn't go over, but, you know, remember, I think it was British Telecom that claimed they had a patent on the idea of linking mm -hmm. for a while. So like, that would have meant that the whole internet would have to, to end. Uh -huh. Basically, the whole World Wide Web would have to end because they would go around turning hyperlinking into protection racket. Yep. Meanwhile, the concept of linking, the concept of linking is an idea as old as communication. Right. So it's you know the fact that they could patent it is is terrible. Yeah. You know, the like, the patent if I office. I tell you to go to the store because it's a nice place to go. Isn't that a link? Yeah. The patent office certainly did not understand computers when a lot of patents were approved. Like you said, the the one click checkout thing that Amazon had was obviously a silly patent, and that's that's probably the biggest problem is that nobody in the patent office understands the things that are being patented. You know, nobody can know that much. And to go, yeah, hasn't that, oh, linking, isn't that the the superscript in a book that leads to the to the footer on a page? Isn't, I don't, right. I don't think you can patent that. That sounds insane. <laughs> so, right. yeah. See, see, that's the thing. It's, there's too much judgment there, too much power being given to the government to decide, pick winners and losers uh -huh. in business. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I'm totally, I'm totally with you on it. So, but this one is done. Hooray. Hopefully we won't have to have any further interaction on this. Uh, we might follow up not on the show, but in writing, if we ever hear what the details of the settlement are. But I think that puts an end to a very old story. Hooray. This week's Pilch Point with Avram Pilch is proudly powered by Monster Products. The headphones on my head right now, the Monster Elements, yes, they've changed colors. 
um, are available in full uh, over the ear, on ear, in ear, uh, in the true wireless uh, style. And if the elements aren't your style, maybe the DNA Pros or maybe the iSports, which are designed specifically for while you're working out. Maybe that's more your style. Um, all of that is available, plus, of course, speakers from the, the tiny Hotshot and the S100 up to the giant Monster Blaster. And, of course, all of the cables and power to connect these and your other devices are all available by going to pilchpoint.live slash monster. So, we, we haven't had a show in a while, and so we wanted to come back with a fascinating topic of Avram running a personal experiment. <laughs> yes. So at work we were talking, we said we wanted to do something for Independence Day, like declare independence from something. So I said, look, I will declare independence from Windows for, I originally said a day, but that's not enough. So I've been doing it for like five days now um, <laughs> with a little bit of a break in the middle um, uh, for a few hours. Uh, I am using Linux as my as my operating system. Now, I want to say that this is not the first time I've ever used Linux. Sure. I every couple of years I do something like this, although usually not for several days. But every couple of years I give Linux a give desktop Linux a try, and you know this is going way back to like you know the late nineties. I actually had two PCs on my desk at home and one of them was running Red Hat and one of them was running Windows. Uh, so, you know, I I go back to Linux every few years to see, hey, like, how is this this coming? But then inevitably I get drawn back into Windows because the programs I want to use are in Windows mm -hmm. and, and the interface is just nicer in Windows for me. Um, so, but I said, hey, you know, I will, I will give this give this a shot uh, again, and um, it's been an interesting experience. It makes me have kind of much more respect for where Linux is today, and makes me kind of want to use it more. Um, so, but it's also been a great challenge. So, I installed after asking the community at Tom's Hardware what what apps and flavor of Linux to try. I got a bunch of different answers, and I decided to go with Linux Mint. Okay. Uh, Linux Mint is a very popular uh, flavor of Linux. Uh, those who aren't Linux people may not know that there's like a lot of flavors of Linux. It's not like Windows and Mac OS where it's like, hey, I can just choose Windows 10 or Home or Pro, and it's pretty much the same thing. Or Mac OS, that's it. Right. There's a lot of different flavors of Linux. They're all they're pretty much all free. But, you know, they give you a different interface, slightly different look and feel, different comp compatibility with apps. So it can be a little confusing. You want a popular one. Ubuntu, by far, is the most popular Linux. But I didn't want to do just what everybody else does. So I went with, with Mint, which is supposed to be based on Ubuntu, but a little nicer. So I installed it. And inst installing was easy. It uh, only took a few minutes. The, the main thing challenge that I had, and I think this was something where I made a you know, mistake, uh, is I could not get my laptop that I put this on 
two, which is my main computer, I should say, uh, my main home home computer, uh, which I also took to work and use for work. Um, uh, I could not get it to boot off of the. You ha I had to download and create a boot USB, uh, and it would not boot off of my USB in its normal mode, so I put it to legacy boot mode. Well, if you know anything about boot modes, uh, you know that there's UEFI mode, which is the modern booting mode, and then there's legacy mode. And I thought I had to have it in legacy mode to boot off of this disk, but may to boot off this USB flash drive, perhaps, but I think there might've been another way to make a USB flash drive that was bootable, that was UEFI bootable because having installed, I wanted this to dual boot with Windows, and when because I, I installed this legacy boot, apparently the boot manager called Grub, that's what it's called, cannot see my Windows partition. So even though it gives me a choice to boot into Windows, it thinks like I have Windows 8 when I have Windows 10 or whatever, it won't do it. So if I want to get back to Windows 10, I have to go into my BIOS, change the boot mode back to UEFI, and then it will boot to Windows and not allow me to boot to Linux. Uh, that's very annoying. The The solution to that would be, unfortunately, there's no fix for it unless I completely reinstall Linux again with all the apps that I have on it uh, and all the settings changes and everything like that. So I'm not doing that um, right now. But uh, let me show you something and see if this works. So I'm going to share my screen and see if that uh, see if see if it works. All right. Are you seeing my screen? Yes, including you. Da da da. Okay, <laughs> that must be like an ultimate infinite, whatever. <laughs> so what what is weird though? I don't know if you can see this. Hold on. Is if I open anything on here, what is weird is, do you see the ghosting here? Yes. Or, okay. Like, that. so one of the big performance issues that I've had, and it's been a little bit pokey, uh, is that, um, that I use a dock, a docking station, a, a DisplayLink USB docking station, both at home and at work, and when I'm plugged into the docking station, I get this kind of ghosting. If I'm just using it on the laptop screen, I don't. I don't have a problem. But if I'm docked, which I like to do when I'm at my desk, so yeah. I can use the big big screens and dual monitors, uh, it gives me problems like that. Now, that might be DisplayLink's fault for not having a, a, a good enough uh, Linux driver. Sure. It might be because my computer is a little on the old side. Uh, but... Um, you know, it has not been, um, you know, not been, not been what I would have wanted. So sure. anyway, um, the other thing that I find weird are the fonts on here. So if you look at like this terminal window I have here, the spacing between the fonts is really weird. This is like one word, but it's got all these like extra blank spaces. Uh, and it was hard for me to find a, um, to find uh, a theme and fonts that looked as good as Windows. It still doesn't. Like a lot of the stuff here, like the icon patterns and all of that, it looks to me a lot like Windows 98 or Windows 2000. Like they just haven't 
for all the people working on Linux, and Mint is supposed to be the most modern one, and the desktop uh, desktop manager called Cinnamon is supposed to be one of the best looking ones. Really has is really just does not look very much. So like here's the start menu, right? And it's like okay, but all the icons are very flat. Everything looks very like early 2000s, late 90s in this in this design. Now. Does it really matter for your work? Probably not. Uh, you know, but what I but is it distracting to me that like the fonts don't look as nice as Windows? Yeah, that that kind of is a distraction for me. Um, I've been able to obviously a lot of the software that I want to run does not run under Linux, but I was surprised at how much does. So uh, Chrome obviously runs under Linux. Skype, there's a native Skype app, which I'm using talking to you right now. Uh, we use a, uh, a um, chat client at work called Stride. That works. They, that has a native Linux client. Um, so does Slack. Have an, uh, so does Zoom, which is a conferencing. So like every conferencing software I've tried, basically, or chatting software, has a native Linux version. Uh, I was able to get Dropbox for syncing files. Uh, that that exists. Um, what doesn't exist? Photoshop. There's no Adobe stuff. So uh, so I had to download a a different graphic software. Uh, I down there's GIMP, but I find the interface a little bit distracting. And then there's this one called Pinta which looks, uh, looks a lot like paint.net for Windows, which is more Photoshop-like. Oh, uh, yeah, it does. Which I found. Uh, then, of course, a text, uh, good text editor for coding, because I do a fair amount of coding. Uh, obviously, you're not going to get something like Visual Studio here. So I don't know how, you would, how or if it's possible to program Windows apps on this. Uh, but there is Gini, which was recommended, which seems to be a decent. Um, I really like Notepad Plus Plus on Windows. is is like one of my favorite apps, and this is, you know, looks quite a bit like it. Um, so, you know, I found a, you know a bunch of things that that run under this to where I can use it um, and use it fairly effectively. Although connected to the docs as it is, it is it is pretty slow. Although lately my computer has been really slow in general when, when docked. I, I think this may have to do with the Spectre meltdown patches. Mm. And that's one reason why I ordered a new computer. Right. Um, so, which I'm supposed to get the new one of soon, but that's another story. Um, anyway, um, you know, so overall I would say uh, Linux is there if you folks want to try it out. The question is why you would need it or want it. And I think the main reason you would need it or want it is if you're just either morally opposed to Windows, you don't want to have all that data collection, you don't want Microsoft controlling your computer, um, or, you buy, or you've built a computer or have an old computer and you don't want to pay to get a new Windows. Sure. And that's a significant amount of money that you're paying, you know, I mean, to buy a legit Windows license is anywhere between 90 and 120 dollars so on the other hand though if you want to take full advantage of the performance of your computer let's say you built it for gaming well there are some games that run under linux 
but many do not. So, mm-hmm. you know, most of the most popular titles do not. So uh, within the Steam catalog, for example, it's 11 percent. Yes. So, you know, I was surprised to learn because I had been keeping up with it, that there actually were 11 percent of Steam catalog that run. So so there's that. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's 89 percent that don't. Uh, so, and a lot of very popular ones that you would want to play. Sure. And obviously I don't think I haven't researched this, but I don't think that you're getting the maximum performance out of your NVIDIA graphics card or your AMD graphics card right. with the Linux drivers. Fair so, enough. So, you know, so, you know, uh, that, that's my experience with, with Linux kind of mixed. Sure. Um, and certainly, a lot of some challenges along the way that I'll get into when I write an article about this tomorrow or the next day. Um, you know, I had to go to command prompt a number of times. You probably don't want to have to do that unless you, you unless you really enjoy that kind of challenge. Sure. Uh, that absolutely makes sense. Um, so from a, uh, I'll, I'll let you switch back to your camera. Um, so from, from a software standpoint, oh, I'll switch back to myself as well. Um, from a software standpoint, um, a couple of great uh, Visual Studio Code is available for uh, Linux. Uh, you still can't build Windows apps on it, but eh. I mean, you could probably do the software, but you can't. Obviously, you can't compile. And uh, for graphics work, it's not Photoshop, but uh, I really like Inkscape, and Inkscape is available for Linux. Yeah, I tried Inkscape. It seemed more like I, I looked at Ins- into Inkscape. I will, I will actually like download it. I looked into it. It seemed to be more made for drawing and less yeah. for doing the really basic stuff that I need to do, yeah. like crop. Yeah, absolutely. It is not. It's not for that. It's uh, all of our graphics for the show and stuff like that are all done in Inkscape. Uh, because you know sometimes I need to make an icon 32 by 32 pixels to get it in your browser tab, and sometimes I need to put it on an HD screen. So it's all vector based. But yeah, yeah. that's uh, that's a another great free. Depending on what you're trying to do, that's another great free thing for Linux for anybody who might be trying the same experiment that you're going through. It's fun. Uh, it you know it, it's a challenge, but you know I guess the bottom line is if you bought a computer that comes with Windows, like most you know fully built computers do, yeah, there's not a great incentive to switch. Um, you know I guess the main reason I would recommend it to people is to save money, uh, or if they just really, you know, like to try something different. Sure, sure that makes sense. Well, uh, obviously. It's an interesting thing. I have gone through the same experiment that you're going through a couple of times just because obviously at this point, there's a 0% uh, way for me to give up Windows entirely, especially considering I'm sitting in a room surrounded by five of them right now. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, from time to time, I run that same experiment. And uh, sometimes I run the the other experiment of trying to use Mac OS, that one usually lasts less time than trying to use uh, Linux uh, just because it's so bizarrely different. Um, but, but you also have to use different hardware for that. Yeah. You know, 
Yeah. So which makes so it a bigger I, challenge. I was using my same laptop that I always right. use, so I didn't have to learn, get used to the keyboard or anything like that. It's it's what I'm used to. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I'm I'm just like you. I'm picky with a keyboard, and I've yet to find Mac hardware that has a keyboard that types like you would expect a keyboard to type. Anyway, uh, you're going to write about your experiences, and we'll be able to find them. On tomshardware.com on Tuesday. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to reading the full article, and uh, it was definitely fun to hear you having similar experiences to every time I've run the same experiment myself. So uh, thank you for that. And uh, Is my screen stop sharing now, by the way? I yeah, can't we're, even tell. Yeah, sure. we're, back to, we're back to you. <laughs> Yeah, we're back to you. All right. Well, uh, thank you for that. And uh, we'll actually get to talk to you again next week. week's extra life on f5 live is proudly powered by razor get all of the gaming accessories you need to up your game uh, from razor whether it be a new uh, keyboard and or mouse one of the giant gamer mouse pads or you're looking for uh, gaming headsets like the razor kraken which is on sale right now for 79 instead of 99 or the Razer Mamba Tournament Mouse, which is 79 instead of 89. Um, or you're interested in the Razer phone. All of that is available by going to f5live.tv slash Razer. A topic that we've talked about a couple of times that is annoying to all gamers is the fact, well, not necessarily to all gamers, but specifically to gamers on PlayStation, is the lack of console crossplay. Now, over the last year or so, we have seen both Microsoft and Nintendo embrace the idea of crossplay. Um, in fact, we've seen them embrace it so much that since E3, which I know we never covered, but it's okay. Everybody else did. You're fine. Um, since E3, we've seen Microsoft and Nintendo launch um, co-branded TV commercials talking about how you can cross-play the same game, uh, Xbox versus Nintendo. And, of course, uh, the PC is in there as well. Um, if you're talking Minecraft, you can play with people on Android and iOS and Xbox and PC and Switch and... And Linux. And Linux. And everything but the PlayStation. <laughs> and that has been consistently because of Sony. Sony has seemed to have no interest in participating in this uh, new gaming uh, world order that has sprung up to gamers' delight. 
everybody seems happy about this, but Sony. Um, and another example of this is uh, Fallout 77, the new game from Bethesda uh, that gamers have mixed opinions on it. We won't be talking about that. What we will talk about is the fact that um, the, the game 76, sorry, not 77. I don't know where my brain is. Um, the director of the game has said that they designed the game for crossplay and were not allowed to implement it because of Sony, um, which is a story we have heard time and again uh, a couple of weeks ago. I don't remember which game it was, but a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, uh, Avery and I talked about another game that said they had even tested it. <laughs> successfully until Sony found out that they had tested it and they had to shut it down. Um, so, and they said we could literally have the feature rolled out to gamers worldwide within a matter of hours. If Sony said we could do it, uh, it sounds like this is probably the same way. Um, but Sony is in the way. However, for the first time ever, an executive at Sony has said, that a solution is coming. Now, what does a solution is coming mean? Because we have games that have successfully tested the feature. Who knows? It's the world's most vague statement <laughs> ever um, that literally doesn't mean anything. So, who knows? Um, is it, do they have some agreement with their developers that say they can't do it and they're trying to rewrite the, the agreement? I don't know. But maybe, maybe Sony is actually interested in fixing this. What do you think? This is, here's the question I, I don't know the answer to and I should. Sure. Is the, if Microsoft makes Minecraft, makes the, Microsoft makes the Minecraft game that is available on PlayStation uh, 3, and four and whatever they make the PlayStation version of the Minecraft yes. game. Why, why can't it just connect to the Minecraft server? Because just like on uh, Xbox, everything runs through uh, the PlayStation network. Just like on Xbox, so, everything runs through Xbox Live, and so so it has to. Yes, hundred percent required. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I mean, I, I, you know, we have a PlayStation actually, my son and I, and like we, you know, uh, you know, we haven't done a lot of like he's young, so we don't want to like go on and play things with strangers. But like, it, yeah, it looks like everything it, it connects to PlayStation Network a lot. But I didn't realize that like there was no way for a developer to design a game that could connect to any other server. Um, it can connect to another server, but it has to. It does so through. Basically, think of PSN at like a, uh, a VPN on the thing. Everything tunnels through PSN. So that gives Sony the ability to step on anything. Now, Sony's, Sony, interestingly, Sony's rules on what are PSN and what are not are theoretically um, less stringent than Microsoft's. But obviously... In reality, that's not how it's playing out, <laughs> because clearly they're uh, they're pretty intense about about what they are and are not allowing. Because Microsoft's like, we love the idea; we're letting everybody play, 
Um, but, you know, Microsoft requires certain, like, matchmaking and stuff to all go through uh, the Xbox Live AI uh, matchmaking systems and stuff like that. Whereas Sony doesn't care. They're like, you want to do your own matchmaking and make it suck? You do you. <laughs> I mean, obviously, um, huh. Microsoft is, you know, has a has a big stake in people being able to play its games. I mean, Microsoft is a big producer of games. True. So, so you know, cross-play is meaningful to them. Uh, although, this is interesting. I don't know the answers, but how many Microsoft-owned games are available to play on PlayStation? Uh, I mean, Minecraft is the only one I know I can think of. Uh, it's the only one I can come up with offhand, but uh, that doesn't mean... Let's see if there's any others. There is a. There's a, a thread on a. On Gamespot talking about it. I don't see it actually. Mm. Uh, possibly Ninja Gaiden. I don't know if they own that or not. It doesn't sound right. Mm. Well, anyway, they have an interest in getting people to crossplay. Certainly, I don't see why either company would be opposed to working with Nintendo because Nintendo, while a competitor, is also somewhat offering a somewhat different experience with the Switch. Yeah. So I, I know a lot of people who have the Switch plus another console and they use both of them. Uh-huh. Yes. Whereas there's not a lot of reason to have both a PlayStation and an Xbox. That's that's true. There's there's definitely less less reason today because uh, you don't see nearly as many um, uh, exclusives. Yeah, you don't see as many console exclusives. Even the things that used to be, other than the stuff from first party developers, right? You know, the Microsoft Studio stuff tends to be Xbox. The Sony Studio stuff tends to be PlayStation, um, but there's certainly a lot less uh, less reason to have both, unless you're a fan of both uh, Forza and Gran Turismo, which I know there's no human being who is a fan of both, but theoretically, <laughs> right, that is possibly the most def uh, divisive. That's the only one I could think of. The, the most divisive conversation in the industry. <laughs> but, yeah, that's about it, right? I'm 360. I am on the world's worst list of games. Yeah, this, this Microsoft Studios game list doesn't even have a PlayStation category. It has everything else. Wii, Wii U, Switch, but it doesn't even have a PlayStation category, which is pretty funny. So I guess that answers our question. There's not a whole lot of Microsoft stuff published on PlayStation, just like there's not a lot of Sony stuff published on Xbox. So there would be your exclusives. But yeah, it'll be 
but it's the it's the third parties who really want this capability who really want you know if you if you play street fighter wouldn't it be great to be able to play street fighter but no walled gardens so it looks like sony might actually be interested in participating in this which i think is good for the industry um especially as we're starting to see more games totally abandon uh the the single player campaign and go entirely multiplayer uh fallout 76 as an example This week's news from the tubes on F5 Live is probably powered by riff tracks. Make fun of movies or let the professionals do it for you because that's what they get paid to do. The guys who used to do Mystery Science Theater 3000 are back and doing what they do best, making fun of movies. From blockbusters to Snow Beast, they've got a little bit of everything. The way it usually works is for a couple of dollars, you download the MP3, play it along with your DVD, Netflix, Amazon, wherever the movie happens to live, and laugh. From time to time, they do mix it up and they do a live event uh, in theaters nationwide. Their next event, August 23rd, is Crawl, which should be wonderfully terrible. Um, and of course, in addition to the live events and the full movies, they also have shorts, which are oftentimes industry films and the kind of garbage that your teachers would show you in elementary school when they had a headache. Uh, they make fun of those as well and you can find all of the content that's available by going to f5live.tv slash tracks with an X I am very glad now, I got a, a laugh out of you on that now now isn't crawl the one where he has a fidget spinner that he throws at people yep sure is <laughs> It's also the movie that uh, Peter Griffin wanted to go see when he went back in time to try and fix his marriage, which <laughs> ended up uh, with him married to, uh, I don't remember who now. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. All right. So important topic to talk about. Over the last couple of weeks, we have seen a lot of laws uh, either passed, started to pass, or uh, go into effect uh, involving the Internet. Obviously, the one that everybody on the planet is going to be familiar with because of the 1,800 emails that you received within a 48-hour time period, it's GDPR, and I apologize. I think we all never wanted to hear those four letters in that order again. Um, but it certainly started this tailspin. And since GDPR, we have seen a privacy law uh, passed in California. And we have also seen an interesting new law that has been um, bubbling around the EU since about 2013 um, get passed by, I think they call it the EU Parliament but still has to go to the council or whatever it's called. Um, that's massively complex. Uh, 
So let's talk a little bit about about what we've got. GDPR, the biggest part of it requires that if you want your data removed from any platform, uh, you can ask and they have to remove it in a timely manner. Um, the California data privacy law is complex, but uh, specifically is a reaction to the Cambridge Analytica stuff and is all about not giving third party access and you know all the things that went wrong uh, with Facebook uh, in that particular topic. And then in the EU, the thing that went through Parliament is equally chaotic uh, and complex, but the biggest challenge that um, that tech companies are seeing out of it, uh, if it goes into effect, is that any basically links that are shared to content have like required back payments similar. Uh, you might remember to what Spain tried to pass on news articles anytime a news article was uh, syndicated in any way. Uh, the syndicator had to pay the original publisher. So if a news article showed up in a search result, Google had or Microsoft would have to pay, you know, the New York Times, obviously not really because it's in Spain. But think of it that way. If a New York Times article showed up in Google News, then Google had to pay the New York Times to run the headline, which is bizarre. This is a very similar thing, but if you share the link on Facebook, Facebook has to pay the New York Times, which is even more complex. So here's, so here, so who wants this law? Mm -hmm. Who who's the who is the constituency for the law? Because if I'm a publisher, actually I am. Right. You know, uh, I, I want people to link to me. Uh huh. Like I, I want them to link to me. So having disincentivizing the platform from allowing linking to me, or linking to me, is the worst thing they could do to me. Mm -hmm. Like, they're not. The result's not going to be that I'm going to suddenly get a flood of money coming in from people who want to link to me. They're just going to stop linking to me. So if I'm Facebook, the simplest solution is disable linking in for users from that area. You know, that's if I'm Google, it's, you know, turn off Google News for that area. Like it's not. And if I'm a publisher and so, so like, here's, here's an interesting question, right? So like we run a U.S. based website, right? Sure. Tom's hardware. It's a U.S. based website, but we have visitors from all over the world. Absolutely. Everybody does. Absolutely. So now do we have to not be, can we not link to anybody from our website because somebody from a, from a European country might be visiting? Um, or do we have to stop our website from a, do we have to block those countries from viewing us? Uh -huh. Do we have to come up with some type of a new technology that's going to turn those links off if they're coming from, gonna disable all external links if, if someone is coming? 
you know, and who who exactly is getting what to the, what counts as something that's as someone who needs to get paid. Like, if I link to a nonprofit, do they have to get paid for my linking to them? Right. If I link to a restaurant, telling people to go there, do they have to get paid? Like, does Wikipedia get a cut if I link to that? Like, who? Who's supposed to be getting paid, and how many people am I supposed to be paying? And am I paying them by the click, or am I paying them by the view? Mm-hmm. What if it's at the bottom of the page and people don't scroll all the way down and see it? I mean, what if what if you're not the one that's sharing it? What if you're Twitter, and somebody else is sharing it? Yeah, well then I have to disable that on my platform. Right? Uh huh. Which is the whole concept behind things like Facebook and Twitter. So, so that's, that's chaos. Now let's throw into the mix that, um, the idea of a meme would officially be against the law in the EU. So why, why? So you said a link, Uh you'd have to pay for a link. A meme is not a link. No. Why a meme? So, so the link tax is just one of the many fascinating complexities in this new law, uh, which, by the way, I got my terminology wrong. It, it passed committee and is now on to parliament, not it passed parliament and is now on to the, the whatever it's called at the top, the commission. So I'm a step off. Uh, but the, the, so the whole law is about... Uh, trying to prevent uh, copyright infringement and not really even prevent it to uh, make it impossible because they want they want technologies in place to scan every piece of you know every photo that's uploaded to Facebook to see if it contains some copyrighted work of art which music you know audio is hard enough uh, and that's consistent. Um, but in this case, say you wanted to take a screenshot of an episode of Rick and Morty and put a caption at the bottom of it. Nope. Can't do it because you don't own the rights to that screenshot in the United States. We call it fair use in the EU. They call it no. Well, they're going to have a problem. I mean, the funny thing is how much of the internet and how much of technology is based off of things that would be considered copyright violations. Uh-huh. I mean, f- for example, you know, they're used to, I mean, I guess it's not as big now, but like with all the streaming services, I mean, I used to see all these things where they would sell you, you know, like you'd buy all these media streaming boxes and they had no way to, to connect to any service. And they'd have like, you know, three terabyte hard drive. Well, what are you putting on that three terabyte hard drive? Home movies? You know, like so much of the internet, you know, what's YouTube? YouTube is like a walking, is like a website copyright uh, uh-huh. copyright violation. Absolutely. Yes, they have takedown stuff, but I am, I challenge you to go there and search for any song you've ever wanted to hear and you will find it five times. Uh-huh. Search for episodes of old TV shows. You will find them. Like, uh huh. You know, but God forbid you live stream a drag performance and Sony takes your live stream down. 
That was my uh, that was my experience a couple weeks ago. Really? I didn't, I, <laughs> yeah. Great. It's fascinating. But it's wonderful. But audio is way like music is way easier to detect than a drawing of Mickey Mouse. Yeah. So <laughs> on the safe side, they'll probably be doing all kinds of stuff to to get people out. Like, I mean, every few years. But listen, let's not be too harsh too harsh to the eu because these types of laws come up in the united states every year or so also uh-huh that's you true know, like i don't know what country is the most enlightened about the internet but we can't say it's the united states okay sure we every every few years there's some type of some type of thing like sopa or whatever that comes up that that is that is designed to that is designed by people who are either greedy or stupid or both, or just don't know, or just don't at this age, at this stage of this stage, ignorance of the internet is no excuse. Right. Okay. The world wide web has been a thing since at least 1995. So now you're talking 23 years, even old people like my parents. Well, not my father so much, but my mother, know how the internet works right okay you cannot the people who are in these governments cannot all be 90 years old and have never used the internet right so like you 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 have you have to have used the internet and so if you've used the internet at all you know how ridiculous the idea of taxing links is Uh you know how ridiculous the idea of trying to stop the free flow of information like this is uh and so what you're trying to do is create a boon for lawyers basically, or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, and that's just terrible. And, you know, unfortunately every few years we have to stand up for it. You have to stand up for it again. Yep. Cause there's a lot of people who there's a lot of entrenched businesses that would like to go back to a pre internet mm-hmm. way of distributing information. For sure. That is also why net neutrality was uh, killed in the United States. And we'll just start to see what happens there. But, like, you know, they want to go back to the gatekeeping model of like the cable companies will get to decide what you can see in here. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and, and this is interestingly, this is, you know, Everybody. Anyway, the net neutrality was the government trying to prevent uh, corporations from making decisions on content. And but this seems to be the EU going the other way and saying, we're going to we're going to codify you being in charge of what is seen, which is weird yeah they're not trying to assure your freedoms they're trying to take them away so yeah it's i mean we can only hope that uh smarter people prevail but as stuff like that as stuff like this keeps showing up and keeps getting passed you know california did their privacy thing the gdpr is the law of the land as far as uh you know europe is concerned but that's not really the way the internet works you know, it's not like it's not like you and I 
can implement like because because Tom's Hardware has a pretty active community, right? Um, and if somebody in the EU were to contact you guys to remove all data that's ever been collected about one of your community members, that you know how. Where is all? Where is all of that stuff? Is there anybody in the organization that necessarily knows all the places where data is stored? We and, have to know, right? We have to know. Our our company had to go through some things to be GDPR compliant, right? I'm not sure exactly what what we had to do, but yes, our our parent company Perch did a bunch of things to be GDPR compliant. Now, if I am, um, if I'm you know, running a smaller company, mm-hmm. I don't know what I need to do to be GDPR compliant. I right. mean, I guess it really, I guess it really depends on what, you know, where, what type of data do we have on people? Right. Um, Is it identifiable? Yeah. And, but with GDPR, God forbid your company has implemented blockchain because that's not undoable. That's an accounting system. Once something is in blockchain, it can't be removed. That's not how the technology is designed. So all of a sudden, yeah. all of a sudden, blockchain is kind of against the law in Europe, <laughs> which is where the problem here comes in is all of a sudden, you know, in California, what you can and can't do online is different than Delaware, even in the United States. And so as a startup, how do you prepare for all of that stuff? Do you totally ignore it, as I imagine a lot of startups have done, especially with GDPR? Um, you know, how, how do you do you have to have a legal team the size of Facebook to understand all of this stuff? What if you're a team of three that's trying to bootstrap a product? What if you're our friends at Ultimatum? There we go. What if you're our friends at Ultimatum, who are literally three people trying to bootstrap a startup? None of them are lawyers. How, yeah. This how is, do you prepare is, for California versus Delaware? How do you deal with what if some? I think you do. I think you you do the. I think you do this California standard for everybody. Is probably what happens. Mm-hmm. But you still have to prepare for that. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, luckily I, that I, doesn't I, go into effect until 2020. So. You got a little bit of time on the California thing, but it's yeah. but it's not California won't be the last of these. This thing in the EU won't be the last of these. I think I think having I think as a startup, what you might want to do is is find ways to work on a platform where other people control the user data. Uh-huh. It's not the best thing because then you don't own it right. per se, but like you know, instead of creating your own discussion board, use some use some use a service. They should probably have ways to deal with that. Use right. Have a like, have a public Slack or a public Discord. Yeah. Yeah. You know, have a instead of. I mean, one of the nice things about if you were creating a game or something, uh, you know, I believe that like if it's on Android platform or iOS platform, Apple or or Google will actually handle the user data for those, right? I mean, that isn't that be. what like... Yeah, I think so. Google Google Games or whatever. So theoretically, you don't have to... You could get, you could do a lot of development work without, yeah. without necessarily having your hands on user data. 
nevertheless, there's probably a lot of original things people want to do and need to do to innovate to have their hands on user data. So it's, it's an issue. Absolutely. And I mean, when you when you end up with stuff like, you know, the issue with GDPR uh, causing all these problems with blockchain, you know, all of a sudden a whole industry is is almost useless on a, on a continent that that kind of thing is not going to make innovation better and for the i mean in that case for the eu it's probably going to drive companies out of europe and into asia or north america so i think that you know that kind of thing ends up backfiring it's it's complex for everybody all around um and I think that's important for everybody to know that this kind of stuff is happening and the kind of kind of troubles that could arise because of it. This week's DRM not included on F5 Live is proudly powered by Amazon Prime. You know what your basic features of Amazon Prime. If you have it, you know you get free shipping on tons of products, sometimes same day, sometimes two day. But there's a lot more that comes with it, including um, Amazon Prime Music, where you get several million tracks available to stream for free. You get Amazon Prime Video with uh, TV and movies, including original content. You get all kinds of uh, stuff, including some of the HBO back catalog. You can subscribe to other channels like HBO for less than the traditional HBO Go price. Um, but the thing that really gets me going right now is Twitch Prime. Uh, you now get two features with Twitch Prime. The first is you get one free subscription on Twitch, which you can use to help support a streamer that you enjoy, which could be us. You can go subscribe to Plug It's Live on Twitch and get notified when we go live uh, and help us out a little bit. But you can also get free games, which just like if you're on Xbox or you're on PlayStation, uh, not quite the same as PlayStation, just like if you're on Xbox Live, once it's yours, it's yours. So go get it. Own the games. Uh, whether you play them today or you play them a year from now, uh, go get them while they're free. They change every month. Uh, and if you're not already a subscriber uh, to Amazon Prime, you can get a free 30-day trial to make sure that you like all of these features just in time for Prime Day 2018 by going to f5live.tv slash prime you can also get all of the features that we just talked about and quick links to all of them by going to that same link now um we talked about it a couple weeks ago we'll talk about it again because the story just keeps moving on us uh the disney and fox uh story disney uh, a number of weeks ago, put in a bid for $68 billion, I think, $62 billion to buy um, the majority of Fox's assets. Um, shortly after, while we were on our hiatus, 
uh, Comcast came in and bid 68 billion, I think. So I think it was 60, 68, and then Disney just came back with 72 billion, 72.1, I think was the number, um, as a counter offer, which this week officially got government approval, kind of. So here's what happened. Uh, the Department of Justice uh, filed a lawsuit to prevent the the uh, merger, which sounds like the opposite of approval, but it's not. Um, the suit basically said that um, Disney would have to divest all of the regional sports networks that uh, that Fox currently owns. Uh, for those of us here in Florida, uh, we have a you know, Fox FS1 Florida or something like that. Um, and there's regional sports networks all over the place. Basically, uh, the DOJ is just saying, we don't think all sports networks should be owned by by Disney because Disney also owns the uh, ESPN collection of networks. So uh, the competition between those two big brands is important. So Disney will not be allowed to bring in uh, the Fox Sports Networks into their into their corral, but other than that, uh, the DOJ will said, they be able to, to get? Go. go ahead. Will they be able to get the regular FS1, or or just the or or that they can't have either? So what what I understand, they specified the the what they called the RSNs, which is the regional sports networks. So Sun Sports uh, here in Florida which is a Fox Sports Network. Um, I don't know if the Prime Network uh, can or cannot transfer. Uh, the, the, the suit that I read specified uh, the regional sports networks, but that doesn't mean that, that Fox Sports necessarily is or is not included in that. My guess is because of their reasoning... Uh, behind preventing it, I would guess that the the national network also cannot go. But what I read was specifically about the regional sports networks. So, um, but that is interesting on its own that they've gotten this uh, this approval. That the only concern is the the sports networks. Um, on the other hand. <laughs> Comcast might come back with another bid because it seems that Comcast desperately wants Fox, but Fox desperately does not want to sell to Comcast, which I think is fascinating. Um, Fox doesn't believe that there's any chance that uh, the government would approve a merger uh, there, the, the sale to Comcast, why they feel that that considering Disney got quick approval, I don't know. Uh, but Fox very much believes that Comcast would not be a success, and they are trying so hard not to sell to Comcast, <laughs> which I think is fascinating. Well, you know, Comcast, I don't know how much, I mean, I guess. Disney Disney does Disney doesn't have any interest in ca in uh, cable True. providers, does it? True, I don't think so. So, it giving more content to the cable provider, which already owns, which already owns NBC. Uh huh. So the entire Universal suite. 
Yeah, so that I think that's where yeah. it might be problematic. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, putting more, <laughs> putting more stuff in conflict under Comcast versus under Disney. The only conflict would be the sports networks. That makes sense. Well, it's it's definitely interesting. Um, it sure looks like Disney is about to. Um, to hijack another uh, collection of properties out from under the Universal Parks. Because, <laughs> obviously, Universal has Marvel Island at Universal, uh, at Island of Adventure here at Universal Studios in Florida, and then Disney went and bought Marvel. And then uh, they've also, they put in a couple of years ago, the Simpsons ride at Universal, and uh, Disney is about to own that here in pretty short order too. So it feels sometimes it feels a little bit like uh like Disney is trolling Universal, which I guess is Comcast. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, this takes away a little bit more competition from Disney. But at the same time, you know, to the credit of Disney, Disney is one company that actually has done a very good job of onboarding other companies. Um, and letting you know, them see a lot, letting them sink or swim on their own merit. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes investing, right? So like, you know, I'm sure there are people who will disagree with me, but I think that they've done a good job, a great job with Marvel studios mm-hmm. and they've done a great job with Lucasfilm. You know, they, they've let, they haven't tried to, people complain that those things would become Disney fied. Uh-huh. I don't think that they have changed really at all from what, they were except to have more resources to right. go and do what they do best. So, you know, it's, I think, I don't uh, think, I don't Disney think it's a good corporate parent. Yeah. I don't think infinity war would have been what it was if they hadn't had the resources of Disney to be able to pull it off. I don't think they would have gotten to infinity war. Yeah. You're right. I mean, Marvel had problems, but I'm yeah, just saying sure. like if someone else had bought them, you know, look, Look at look at Warner Brothers and how their inability to make a decent comic book movie besides Wonder Woman. So like, so you know, Disney has obviously done a good job of supporting these properties. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that the other things that they buy will be, yeah, I'm sure that the the Fox properties will will do well under them. Yeah, I I totally agree. I can't see. Like, I can't see them trying to exert creative control over any of the the Matt Groening projects or any of the Seth MacFarlane projects. Or, you know, I can't see them wanting any creative control there any more than they've wanted any creative control in Marvel and Lucas. Just said, here, uh, do your thing. Here's some money. Keep it going. Just don't the one- suck. The one person who should the one the one group of people who should be concerned are I guess are the people who are making all the X Men movies right now, because I could totally see that reverting to the to Marvel Studios where it really belongs. Oh, I I've been pretty sure all along that that's why Disney was interested in this buyout in the first place. Like, oh, you won't sell us the rights back to our own thing? Great, we'll just buy the company. That's a lot of money to. That's a lot of money to get the X Men movies, yeah, which are not, 
which so far haven't been that great. But uh, I mean, some of them have been okay. But if but, you were to if you were to bring those characters under the the same production team and quality as the rest of the MCU, they might be great with a reboot. Yeah, you might make a billion or two billion dollars, yeah. but they're spending seventy-two billion dollars. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it, the math doesn't add. The math doesn't add up. They must want the other stuff too. Sure, but, but there could but, there could certainly be a little bit of spite in there too. Yeah, but yes, I think that like Brian Singer and um, you know all those folks who are making the uh, making the new the, making the X Men movies, they might be out of a job. Yeah, or they might be asked to work with Marvel. I don't know, but they probably would be out of a job. Well, considering the only the only part of the uh, X Men franchise that's ever really been a success is officially retired. <laughs> the wolf. Yeah. It's Wolverine not like it's, is it's done. on the downswing anyway. Yeah. It's, it's, it's it on would, the downswing anyway. It would be time for a recast, a refresh and bring him into the MCU. It's a good time. Just like Spider-Man. It was, it was yeah. time for a recast, a refresh and bring him into the MCU. <laughs> so does Fox own fantastic four. Yes. No. Yes. Fantastic Four, Silver Surfer, and uh, X-Men are Fox. The only yeah, thing left so... at, the only thing left at Sony is uh is Spider Man, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well yeah, I think <laughs> obviously that obviously that one is a no brainer. Yeah, um, for sure. So that that will likely be closed. I think we have a shareholder meeting coming up very soon um, for both companies, and I think that will uh, put an end to this, and the ownership might be fully transferred before the end of the year, which would be fascinating. Disney is is growing at an alarming rate, and considering 10 years ago, under a different CEO, the the struggles that they faced... You know, it's impressive to see how far, how much they've changed in just a short period of time. And that is our show. Uh, thank you for those of you who uh, have joined us live. Uh, you can do that. If you didn't join us live, that's okay. You can do that by going to f5live.tv slash join us on uh, Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern. If you didn't join us live and you have subscribed, that is great. You can do that by going to plugitslive.com slash subscribe. And there you can see all of our shows, including F5 Live and The Pilch Point, uh, First Looks, uh, our special events feed, and a number of other series as well are all there to make it easy for you. Um, it was great to be back. Uh, Avram and I obviously enjoy doing this, and uh, having that much time off was weird for us because... We like talking about this stuff. The good news is the 4th of July falls in the middle of the week this year, so uh, we will not be taking a weekend off. So <laughs> we will be back uh, next week at the same time, same place, with uh, a new episode, which will be great. Uh, this was, as I said at the beginning, this was episode 500. Um, it has 11 years of doing this show to get to 500, and uh, it's been... There have been a lot of changes for those of you who have followed along from the beginning. Um, from a cast of two to a cast of two with um, a maximum, I think, of six in the in the middle somewhere. Um, 
and obviously adding video and the new studio and all this stuff. It's been uh, a really fun, fun ride so far, and uh, we're not going anywhere. So uh, with that, on behalf of the staff that's not here, I'm Scott. I'm Abram. And we will see you guys back next week. Ciao.